Welcome to Life Point Plus, a program dealing with marriages and family. We are so glad you're listening. Here's your host, pastor and teacher, Gary Moore. Welcome to Life Point Plus. I'm your host, Gary Moore. When we closed last week's broadcast, we were talking about the art of listening and how that contributes to marital intimacy. So let's continue there today. You know, good listening requires thoughtful concentration. Focus on trying to understand the message your spouse is communicating. Words often have different meanings to different people. Therefore, you must ask questions to clarify the meaning. Many of our misunderstandings come because we assume that we understood what our spouse meant when, in fact, we missed the whole point. Clarifying questions should never be designed to push your spouse into an intellectual corner by questioning the validity of their statements. You simply want to make sure that you understand their ideas. Also, clarifying questions can become annoying if asked too often, but they often lead to engaging conversations that build intellectual intimacy. You know, every individual is unique. What helps one person may be a detriment to another. Discussing how you talk and listen to each other may help you discover new patterns of communicating. Your spouse may find it annoying when you continue to explore his meaning by asking questions. On the other hand, he may welcome such exploring. Your wife may be seeking a supportive statement from you after she shares an idea. She may be encouraged to talk more if you make such statements as, I understand. I certainly agree with you on that. Yes, I see. Then again, she may find such statements patronizing and annoying. Your spouse may want you to evaluate his ideas, to share your opinions. Or the opposite could be true. Such an evaluation may cause him to stop talking almost immediately. When you say such things as, I don't agree with that, or I think that's a bad idea, you may stop the flow of information from your spouse or get into an argument. An open conversation in which the two of you discuss what makes it easier or more difficult to talk to each other could be extremely helpful. What response on the part of your spouse would make it easier for you to continue talking when you are trying to share an idea? For example, do you want him to nod, to look at your eyes as you speak, to lean forward in the chair? Or do these things annoy you? When you are sharing an idea and your husband realizes that he disagrees with your idea, how would you like for him to express his disagreement? In what way could he share his disagreement without coming across in a condemning manner? Would it be helpful if he started by saying, I want you to know that I give you the perfect freedom to believe that. At the same time, I want to share with you my own point of view. Or would you want him to say, That idea is extremely interesting and you may be right. But let me give you another perspective. Share with your spouse what would make intellectual communication easier for you. Couples who have little understanding of what helps communication flow are likely to do and say things that stifle communication. 
Often these undiscovered but unhealthy patterns of communication have been barriers for years. If we discover and remove these barriers, we will enhance intellectual intimacy. One wife said, Every time I share an idea with my husband, he always pounces on it like a dog on a rabbit, tearing my idea to shreds. I come away feeling like a total failure in his eyes. I have become very reluctant to share my ideas. It is possible that this husband has very little understanding of what his conversational patterns do to his wife and how detrimental they are to intellectual intimacy. If a husband says, I really feel worried about where we are going to get the money for Meredith's college, and his wife's response is, Christian shouldn't worry. Why would you worry? You know that God is going to take care of it. As she reaches for the Bible to read him a verse, it will likely be a long time before he shares his thoughts and anxieties with her again. He was not looking for a sermon, but for understanding and emotional support. He wanted her to know what was going on inside his mind. He needed to be accepted as he was at the moment. Her fast answer gave him the sense that she understood little of his dilemma. She treated lightly something that to him was extremely serious. Learning to identify these negative patterns of communication and to change them will help deepen intellectual communication and intimacy. Creating a safe place in which to talk is of utmost importance in developing intellectual intimacy. If we are afraid that our spouse will take personal information that we are sharing and use it against us, we tend to be reluctant to share. If we believe that they will disagree with our ideas no matter what they are, we become reluctant to share our ideas. That's an interesting idea. I would like to hear more about that. Those statements foster a climate of positive communication, whereas, where did you get that idea? You know that's not biblical. Stops the conversation or starts an argument. Intellectual intimacy evaporates. Creating a climate of security where you know your spouse will receive what you are saying and not condemn your ideas makes it easy for you to continue talking and will enhance intellectual intimacy. Well, now I'd like to shift our attention to spiritual intimacy. For some couples, this may be the least developed area of marital intimacy. For others, this may be a strong area of intimacy. Well, let me begin by making a distinction between spiritual growth and spiritual intimacy. Spiritual growth is personal. It is what is going on between you and God. Spiritual intimacy, on the other hand, is that sense of closeness that comes when husband and wife share with each other something of their own spiritual growth. Well, let's begin with a discussion of two important issues. What spiritual growth is, and the necessity of having a spiritual life before we can experience spiritual growth. What is spiritual growth? The Christian definition is simple. Spiritual growth is becoming more like Christ. Spiritual growth is not to be equated with participation in religious activities, 
Rather, it has to do with the changing of the inner person, our attitudes, values, and lifestyle. The idea that spiritual growth is to be equated with becoming like Christ is found throughout the New Testament. For example, Paul said, Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This teaching is clear. We are to think as Christ thought and live as he lived. Paul further emphasized this in 1 Corinthians 11.1 when he said, Be imitators of me, as I also am of Christ. Earlier in the same letter, Paul said, Therefore I urge you, be imitators of me. This is why I have sent you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. He will remind you about my ways in Christ Jesus, just as I teach everywhere in every church. Paul exhibits spiritual growth. He is saying, I am following Christ. Therefore, you can accept it as trustworthy. Some may think that such a statement is highly egotistical. In reality, every Christian should be able to make such a statement, or at least that should be our goal. If we continue to grow spiritually, following the attitudes and behavior of Christ, we should be able to invite others to follow our example as we follow Him. It is a high and lofty goal, but it is clearly the goal God has in mind for us. One of the most common mistakes in the Christian community is to equate religious activities, you know, attending church, reading the Bible, prayer, etc., with spiritual growth. We assume that if we are involved in the right activities, we are good Christians. We have confused the means with the end. If these activities help us to become more like Christ, then they become the means of spiritual growth. All these activities work together to pave the way for spiritual growth. Spiritual growth is not simply gaining biblical knowledge, even knowledge of Christ's teachings. Spiritual growth involves applying these teachings to life. Our greatest happiness will be found in spiritual growth, becoming more like Christ. Well, this brings us to the second issue. Spiritual growth presupposes that we have spiritual life. We cannot grow in Christlikeness until Christ's Spirit lives within us. He gives us spiritual life and thus the potential for spiritual growth. You know, it is possible to get the cart before the horse. I believe there are many who are trying hard to live good Christian lives, but they are not, in fact, Christians at all. They have not personally received Jesus Christ as Savior and invited the Holy Spirit to take control of their lives. Well, our time is gone for today. I invite you to join me on Monday mornings at 10 a.m., on my Mutual Understanding Method Facebook page for some live teaching on relationships. If you're not a Facebook user, or if the time is inconvenient, 
you can go to my website, mutualunderstanding.net, click on the Mum Live tab, and view the recorded teachings. Be safe and have a great weekend. God bless. Thank you for listening today. This program is brought to you by Cloverdale Church of God. If you would like to reach Pastor Gary, please email him at pastorgary at cloverdalechurch.org. To know more about the church, go to our website at www.cloverdalechurch.org. Thanks for listening and be blessed.